Yeah, yeah, so Karen asked, did I walk the whole way? And, and I certainly didn't. Uh, I did a lot of other things during that period, but I, I walked uh, some of the way. I, I walked through nearly all of Lebanon and quite a lot of Syria, which were the two that were, that were tougher to, to walk through. But what fun. You know, I'll, I'll tell you some stories about that in a minute. Um, but no, nobody walked the whole way. The majority of people, and there are 2,500 who participated, the majority of them would come in um, and stay for two weeks. And, and they, like in Turkey, we would do uh, orientation. Kathy Nobles would do that in Istanbul. And then they would take uh, public transport, which is really good in Turkey. These little buses that go and, and bigger coaches that go all across the country. And they would go out to areas. We mapped it out so that we, we covered as much of the country as we possibly could. And, you know, I reckon a couple million people had face-to-face -face encounters with believers over that time, uh, with people with that message. And the message continued to have that effect on people. There were so many times where people, people's hearts just melted. Any, any other questions? Yeah. You said that they divided in little groups, right? Yeah. So each group presented the apologies mm -hmm. to those parts of the country where they went. That's right. How did you prepare the people in that part of the country? Because well, that, yeah, well that, that's, where the, that's where the media did our job for us. You know, because it was such good news, and it was such good news in, in Turkey, and in Syria, and in Lebanon, and in Palestinian areas, and even in Israel. So we got really, really good coverage, never seeking it. There was something about this that, that was such a God thing, because, you know, Jesus um, doesn't seek publicity, does he? And, and I always feel a bit uncomfortable about trying to raise our profile on anything. I, I'm most comfortable trying to reduce our profile. And I think, I think that's important to see that that's what the early church was. And mostly down through history, the church has been the most Christ-like when it has low profile. So we would go in and just meet people. We wouldn't go in and try to find journalists or try to find politicians. But somebody would always say, oh, you must come to my school. And then, and then the school principal would say, oh, you must meet the mayor. And then the mayor would say, oh, let's get the press in. <laughs> you know? and, and so it would go. And so it was regional uh, newspapers and regional television stations and national stations uh, all across Turkey. And then Lebanon uh, doesn't have so much regional stuff because it's a smaller country. And we, we had amazing publicity from the start. So people knew. In fact, is, you know, when the first team arrived, it was quite, quite funny because... Um, John, the leader of that team, did not know that we'd had the breakthrough with this journalist. Her, her name was Leila Tavshinolu. Uh, and he didn't know that we'd met Leila. And, and he didn't know that the way had been prepared at all. So he thought there was a good chance when he arrived at the Turkish border that he'd be arrested. And, and indeed, when, when he got there, they, they did take him aside and put him in a room. They told the rest of the team to stay there. They put him in this room, and he stayed there and sweated for two hours. You know? <laughs> but what they were doing was getting the TV stations and, and the journalists and everybody together. Because the first thing they asked him before they put him in the room was, are you that team that was in the newspaper? And he said, oh. <laughs> yeah. And so they put him in this room. 
and and they got all the press ready and and then and then as they walked what was it about four days from the border into Istanbul maybe it's five six they every day they had especially mayors from towns and cities across Turkey who had heard about them read about them flown into Istanbul hired a taxi bought bunches of flowers and came out to find the team along the road and say, please come to my city. Isn't that great? Wow. You know, they just loved the message. Loved the message. Yeah. What was the key part of your message you were sharing? The key part of the message was that we deeply regretted and humbled ourselves over the atrocities committed in the name of Jesus because we had so misrepresented him, our, our forefathers. And all of us, if we have any kind of European blood in us, can be pretty sure that we have a forefather who was involved in the Crusades. Mm -hmm. And so we, we humbled ourselves about misrepresenting Jesus, and we, we finished with a scripture that uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor and so on. And, and it was just... It was, it was a message of humility and reaffirming what the gospel is about. And the amazing thing is that oftentimes uh, that was read even from the mosques and from the minarets, you know, over the microphones. Um, one of the things that you find is that, is that the Holy Spirit works in ways that we don't expect, at least that I don't expect. I, I always just kind of had this idea that if somebody wasn't out there telling people about Jesus in an overt proclamation way, then they were sitting in complete darkness. But you know, the Holy Spirit works in lots of ways. And places where I didn't expect to find any signs of the truth, uh, we often found what Jesus referred to when he sent his disciples out as men of peace. I, I remember going into, you know, the, I, I can't be very explicit with this one, but I, I went into one of those places. Do you, do you know about the whirling dervishes? Have you seen those? You know, these, these guys, that um, they're a particular sect of, of Islam. They're, they're called the Mevlanis. And they, Mevlana was a, was a 12th century or 13th century poet. And you know, his message was so much like Jesus. It was love your enemies and all. And, and he had a lot of followers. And one of the things he did was try to kind of escape his body and, and the sensory world by, by, by twirling. You can't do it in here, you twist your knee. But, you know, they, and, and they put on these long robes with, with weights, lead weights in the, in the hems, and they twirl. And the, and the robes stand out like this. Have you seen it? Have you ever seen that? And, and, they'll, and, they'll, and they'll go round around about, about a, a, a circle a second. So revolution is second, and sometimes in the annual major event, they'll go on for 12 hours. Now, I defy anybody in this room to go on for a minute. A revolution is second. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm a sort of typical evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic, whatever, you know, and I, I'm aware of the spiritual world and demonic and all that, and I look at that and I think, oh, demonic. So I went to one of these uh, Mevlani 
meetings in a cave. <laughs> you know, like that. Oh man. <laughs> Went in there. Said, hey, this has got kind of a nice atmosphere, you know. And and the guy introduced what they're going to do, and it was very nice spirit, you know. And then and then they began to twirl, and I thought, you know. I don't know how to explain it, and a lot of people won't receive this, but somewhere God's in this. John Wesley called it general grace. You know, and I really believe in that. I just believe uh, uh, that, that, that in every culture, in every place, God has not left himself without a witness. If you've, ever, if you've ever read Don Richardson's books, Peace Child and Eternity in Their Hearts, mm. he takes that theme up and, and, and so does uh, Bruchko, or For This Cross I'll Kill You. You know, so, uh, wonderful pioneer missionaries in our time have found that. They get somewhere, and if they're, if they're respectful of, of the people and looking for echoes of God's message in their culture, they're there. There's truth to build on. And it's like that guy that I told you about in Antakya, you know, the, the, the Alevi. There's a lot to build on there. And when we went on down into Lebanon, we, we found the same thing. We, we found that there were people there who, who, although they were Muslim, and in some case, very uh, high-ranking Muslims, they had come to understand so much about Jesus. And some of them were followers of Jesus. And as been, has been said earlier this week, um, for them to change their identity and call themselves Christians is to change their whole tribal, cultural, everything identity. And it's to alienate themselves from their families and everybody they know. And actually, in, in most cases, to, to close the door on any ongoing influence to the, to the people whom they are closest to. And so many of them, uh, that's what is called an insider movement, many of them don't change their identity. They don't take on Christian names. They keep their name. They, they continue to relate to the people, that they, their family and everybody else that they've, that they've known all their lives. But they seek to follow Jesus. Not easy to work it out. And there are all kinds of problems associated with it. But we ran into a lot of people like that. I asked one elderly man, a really influential man in a very dangerous part of, of Lebanon, uh, one who would be associated with, with terrorist groups. I, I, I asked him, well, he, he made a comment after I'd made the formal apology. You know, we, we, we do this little speech and they could read the apology, in that case in Arabic. And, and he got up and said, uh, what you're doing is so wonderful because you are restoring the meaning of the cross. And the Crusaders uh, distorted it, made it into a military symbol and uh, a, a symbol of hate and pain. And, and you have restored its true meaning, which is uh, a symbol of the Lamb of God who died to take away the sins of the world. I said, what? <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> you know? Now, he was saying it through an interpreter, and the interpreter wasn't really very good. Um, so I thought, ah, mistake. But I, I got with him afterwards, and there was another guy there who was a very good interpreter, uh, and we were conversing together through this interpreter. I said, I'm sorry, I think there may have been a mistake in the translation. Um, 
this is what I think, uh, this is what your translator said. Did, did you mean to say that? And he said, yes. I said, oh, well, how long have you believed this? And he said, oh, many years. I said, how did this come about? Well, I went to uh, Damascus when I was young, and I saw a film about Jesus, and I thought, that's the way I want to be. And so I got a Bible, and I read about Jesus, and I try to be like him. And I said, oh, so, so you believe that Jesus did die on the cross for us and rose again? He said, absolutely. So I said, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of your fellow Muslims um, dismiss that because they think that, that the early disciples or later generations of disciples changed the scriptures. And that the scriptures, the original scriptures, uh, really show that, that Judas died. And I said, what, what would you say to that? And he got quite irate. And he said, you tell them to prove it. They can't prove it. Uh, oh, all right. Wow, you know, that's unexpected. <laughs> so, you know, when, when we go out in God's world, God's there. Yeah? And you see evidence of that everywhere. Let me tell you another story. Um, one of the... We went into, into Syria. You know, it's such a tragedy to see what's happened in Syria. I love Syria. And what it was like, and you know the, the the wonderful atmosphere in some of the some of the monasteries and convents there. People have been worshiping the Lord Jesus for, you know, ever since about the year ninety or hundred, hundred and ten, uh, worshiping. And 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 there's just fantastic atmosphere in many of those places. Went to one place, one of these one of these towns that was recently uh, taken back by the government forces. It was taken by the by the uh, opposition forces and, and all the Christians were um, many of them killed and others imprisoned and others forcibly converted and now it's been taken back by, by the government um, wonderful place called Malula and uh, Malula is very distinguished because it's one of only two towns in the world where they still speak New Testament Aramaic daily oh, wow. it's a really interesting place great atmosphere I don't have time to tell you the whole story about the... It's a fascinating story, but I, I went, went to this convent. Uh, they called it a monastery, but it was all, all nuns. Uh, but they, have a, they had a little guest house, and it was, everything was nice and clean and, and, and nicely maintained, and you know, it wasn't run down at all. And I thought, this is really nice. What, what's, what goes on here? And I learned gradually by, by listening to the Mother Superior's stories... Uh, in a very, very funny environment where she asked us to tea, my friend and me, Richard and me, and we, we said, of course. And we sat down to have tea with her. It was after dark, and, um, and, and the lights kept going off. And we were sitting in this room, and I mean, when the lights went off, you couldn't see anything. And she just carried on talking as if nothing happened. And she, she had this little button in her, in her lap, and she, when, when the lights went off, she pressed the button, and um, somebody would come in with a lantern. And uh, when she wanted another tea or biscuit, she pressed a button and somebody come in with that. It was, it was a very surreal situation. But she was, a, she was a lovely, lovely, godly woman, just such a good atmosphere. And I said, what, what's the story here? And she said, um, well, our, our patron saint is St. Tecla. Oh. 
And St. Tecla was a convert of Paul from Iconium. And uh, she was a princess whose father tried to kill her when, when she became a, a Christian because she took a vow of celibacy. And she was very influential and a wonderful woman. And so she influenced many of the other young ladies in the city to take vows of celibacy. And it didn't go down well with the young men. <laughs> I've never been able to work that out, but you know, there's got to be a reason why they don't like it. Can't work out why. Um, but, but they, so, so they, they tried to execute her and, and uh, tried to burn her at the stake and, and, and it rained and put out the fire and, you know, all these stories and she escaped. And, and when she, when she finally was fleeing down to Damascus and, and, and people right behind her trying to kill her, she was on these cliffs, and the Lord opened uh, a fissure in the cliff that she could walk down through, and, and the others couldn't get through it. And, and it is at the base of a cliff, and there's a fissure in it. And so she, she lived there, and she lived in this cave, apparently, uh, to start with. The most amazing cave. Back in, the, back in the recess of the cave, like 20 feet back, was a little pool of water, spring in it. And in the pool of water in the spring is planted a grapevine back in the dark bits of the cave. And it grows up and out along the roof with, with no leaves or anything and out to the light where it springs out into leaves and grapes. I can't work out how that, how that happened. Just, and they have a, a, an anointing from God for life. So the reason why they are prosperous or were prosperous, I think, I think the buildings have been destroyed and the Civil War now, but they, they were so prosperous because um, wealthy Arabs, wealthy Muslim Arabs would come from all over the Gulf area, especially if they, if they were barren, if a couple were barren. They would come, get prayer by these nuns, and they would conceive and have babies, and then they would send money back. Amazing, huh? So it's all these things that God has been doing as a witness to himself in the places where you would least expect it. Well, I'll have to tell you one, one other story and then, and then wrap up uh, uh, with July 15th, 1999. But as, as we started getting towards Jerusalem, uh, in the Palestinian areas, we were so well received. There was a bit less enthusiasm in the Jewish areas um, because the Crusades are not so central to them. But, but still, there, we, there was a good reception. We read newspapers and all. But, but everything in, in Palestine and Israel is, is controversial. And we became controversial. And it was the last thing we wanted to do. Because some people were wanting us to, wanting us to have a high profile and other people were not comfortable with what we were doing. And I was like, oh, dear Lord, what do we do? What do we do? And we met together in a hotel room in Ramallah. And we said, Lord, we don't need publicity. You don't need publicity. We came to just meet ordinary people. So we just lay all this down. We don't need to meet with dignitaries. We don't need to make a big splash. It's just, we just want to meet with people. So we, because we'd started thinking, because everywhere we went, mayors would come out and meet us and the TV cameras and all the rest. We started expecting it. And that can be seductive. Got a lot of sympathy for people who have high profile ministries and get carried away with themselves. 
because it can be really seductive when everybody wants to interview you, and, and you know? And so we, we went in our little hotel room and we said, Lord, we just lay all that down. Well, we'd already had a, a meeting set up where um, Christians, led by this Catholic priest from Bethlehem, and the Muslims, led by the senior, senior legal uh, lawyer, the legal expert in Jerusalem, uh, were both coming. And we were trying to just pave the way by meeting with these guys. And from that prayer meeting, I went downstairs, and the lawyer was there, and he's now the senior man in, in Jerusalem. I saw him again recently. Uh, saw him. I, I never really got to know him. I don't mean to say that I conversed with him. But, but he was already there, and he was quite gracious about it. And I was in the lobby of the hotel. We were meeting downstairs. And a, and a man came in with a, with a clerical collar on, and he was so angry. And he was looking for whoever was in charge. That was me. So I said, yeah, it's me. And he said, what do you think you're doing? Do you realize how much you put us at risk? Do you realize how? And oh, it was just awful. And I, I said, look, I, I'm really sorry, but we do need to start the meeting. Could you just come downstairs and, and have a seat? And, and we'd set the room up wrong. So you know, I was standing at the front, and we had, a, we had some chairs or tables there and chairs and tables there and chairs, so they were facing each other, Muslims, Christians. <laughs> and we no sooner got underway, I just tried to explain a little bit of what we were doing, then they, then they started attacking me and then each other. And, it was, and I was just standing there thinking, Lord, this is exactly the opposite of what we came to do. What, what am I supposed to do here? And I felt like the Lord just, just gave me a sense of peace and said, let it go. Let it go. And so we, we let them argue. And at times it looked like they were going to come to fisticuffs, you know. They're leaning across the table, gesturing, and, <laughs> you know. And, and, uh, and then after, you know, a few minutes of that, I just, I had something to say, and I knew it was of God. And so I had to actually take the mic forcibly out of the priest's hand, you know, take it out. And, and I said something. For about two minutes, I talked about Jesus, and I, I have no idea what I said. Whatever I said, as I was saying, I thought, boy, this is really good. <laughs> and, um, and you know that, you know that passage where, where Jesus said to his disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say when you're hauled before kings and governors and so on, the Holy Spirit will speak through you? Never in my life have I been more aware of the Holy Spirit speaking through me? So much so that I don't even know what I said. <laughs> you know, said it, and it was like a, a blanket of peace came down on the room. Everybody was happy. They came out from behind the tables. They shook hands with each other. So to see you on Monday, Joe. <laughs> and they went home. <laughs> and then what unfolded from there was that uh, the newspapers kind of changed their tone, and it wasn't controversial anymore. And on the on the final day, we did exactly what I I thought we would do ten years earlier when when God first spoke to me. And that was we started the morning meeting with the senior Orthodox leader, the um, what's it called, 
the patriarch of Jerusalem, uh, representing all the Christians in that part of the world. I went from there straight over to the Grand Mufti, the senior man for all the Muslims in that part of the world. I went from there straight to the chief rabbi of Israel. And every one of them received us with great warmth and great kindness. So there was just a sense of peace on the day. And when that was all done, then I went and did a, a BBC World Service interview that they'd requested. And when that was done, I had this wonderful sense in the taxi on the Jaffa Road of the Holy Spirit saying, well done. It's a great feeling. Obey Jesus. There are many rewards. Good. Thanks for listening.